you've been with us over the past few weeks, you know that in this season of Advent, a season of uh, preparation, anticipation, expectation, waiting uh, for both the celebration of Jesus' birth and uh, looking forward to the return of Christ, we've been uh, guided by the Gospel of Luke. And a couple of weeks ago, we were introduced to one of the uh, essential figures who prepares the way for Jesus, and that's John the Baptist. And now we're going to uh, revisit John in Luke chapter 3, and we'll begin reading at verse 7. Uh, verse 7 of Luke chapter 3. It's found on page 1593. The Bible's in front of you. Luke 3, verse 7. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, The one with two tunics should share with him who has none. The one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people who were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. With many other words, John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. Our Christmas tree is up. We've watched Ebenezer Scrooge in A Christmas Carol. The first glasses of eggnog have been consumed. Gifts are wrapped. These are some of the things in our house that are signals that Christmas is coming. The ways that we prepare for the coming celebration of Jesus. I mean, everybody does. Everybody prepares. John the Baptist was born to prepare the way for Jesus. Listen, says John, one more powerful than I will come. With all of our preparations for Christmas, we don't want to miss this one. John the Baptist prepares us for the coming of Jesus. Here comes John the Baptist pointing to the one who is to come. Are you ready? Here comes John, the lesser, pointing to the greater. John's the water, the coming one will be fire. Are you ready? I mean, he brings a message that seems like doom. Judgment day is coming. Just look at the images. The axe is already at the root of the trees. We once did that, dug up some old ciders we needed to get rid of, dug around to expose all of the roots, and then whacked at them like crazy with an axe, and then removed those cedars so we could plant something new. His winnowing fork is in his hand 
He's ready to separate the good from the bad. Judgment gets rid of the unacceptable stuff, the the chaff, let it blow away. So the good stuff, the wheat kernel, remains. He'll burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. That's the kind of thing that happens every fall. You know, dead wood that's been collected gets thrown into a blazing fire. It's no good. Burn it up. Except John's not talking about cedars and wheat and chaff here. He's talking about people. Seems like a repent or die message aimed right at the gathered multitude. Everybody who came out to to greet him, to gawk at him in the desert got this word. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? I mean, can you imagine it? Can you imagine it? I mean, what preacher today would start a sermon saying, You sneaky snakes! Who told you of the fires of judgment that were coming to burn you up? Whatever happened to do not judge? Maybe John didn't get the memo from our culture. You know, nobody has the right to judge my lifestyle. Someone once said that prior to 1975, the word judgmental wasn't even in the dictionary. Today, if you judge, you're worse than the one doing evil. We have a different ethic. I'm okay. You're okay. Just do your thing. Instead of judging, we hear, you do you. Let's just kind of all be positive. Thing is, we can say this all we want, but we still carry around our guilty consciences. We still have our regrets over our mistakes. We ache for the hurt that we've inflicted on other people. That's why John is getting the world ready. He's preparing the way for Jesus. He wants us to know about God's coming wrath. I know we stumble over that word. Don't make that mistake. Don't make the mistake of thinking God's wrath is like human anger. We're not dealing here with an irritable deity. No, as one theologian notes, the wrath of God is the love of God in friction with the injustice and the hatefulness of persons. It's that warm, steady, patient, but absolutely fair grace of God in collision with the manifest selfishness and unfairness of human beings. See, there's this major battle going on. Jesus is coming to set all things right. If we want life as it's supposed to be, no hatred, no racism, no bullying, no divorce, no sadness, no death, then we need to listen to John. He's getting us ready for Jesus who fights to rout out the forces of darkness. It's one of the pictures that we get in the gospel story. When Jesus shows up, conflict erupts. Herod the king finds out about the birth of another king, Jesus. He senses a competitor, and so he tries to kill Jesus by wiping out all the toddlers under the age of two. When Jesus starts his ministry, the crowds are divided. Some receive his words like water in the deserts, and others just want to throw them over the cliff. The religious leaders are so upset with Jesus that they conspire to kill him from the very moment he begins his ministry. See, if we could part the curtain, as the New Testament book of Revelation does, we discover that there's a major battle happening. 
When Jesus is born, a dragon is poised, ready to devour him. Satan wants nothing more than to make our lives hell on earth. See, Christmas isn't all cuteness and light. It reminds us there's a war going on. And John points us to that war. John is the one God ordained to announce the coming judge. His father sang about it when John was just a toddler. But it wasn't some nursery rhyme. Zechariah saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. To rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. John was sent to point to Jesus. He told of the fire coming. We need rescuing and that's going to take a war. John the Baptist points us to the coming one. The Lord. The Messiah who will bring the battle against the forces of darkness. Prepare the way. Get ready. Everybody. See, there's no exceptions. Everybody needs to get ready. This isn't a message for a a select few that we think need to hear this word. It's a word for everybody. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I mean, John probably sensed there was some muttering in the crowd, but he noted with them, ancestry doesn't matter. Pedigree doesn't matter. Your heritage, your tradition, whatever you hold on to that thinks qualifies you, none of it matters. Everybody needs to get ready. See, John issues a clear warning. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. See, can we just clear the air? Christmas is not about a celebration of some cute baby. It's not about spritzing up your life. Christmas is all about you and me needing someone to deep clean our lives. See, you can't cover up our mess with a tree dressed in garland. No office party celebration can bring the joy we need. No amount of gift purchasing will eliminate human misery. If we were 100% wonderful, we wouldn't need Christmas. See, the essence of John's message is that you and I need Jesus. That's it. Fine. End of story. We need Jesus to restore the mess we've made. See, someone once noted, it doesn't matter whether you're on the podium at the Olympics crying through the national anthem with a gold medal around your neck or you're wheeled into the service because you have muscular dystrophy. Your need is the same. It doesn't matter if you're at the peak of your earning power or you anxiously await at the mailbox for that monthly check. Your need is the same. It doesn't matter if you bowed your neck at the university to receive a doctoral hood or you're a 53-year-old enrolled in literacy classes. Your need is the same. Now, this is true. I mean, Jesus coming with judgment to end sin and wickedness forever is likely more frightening to those who have a lot to lose than for those who are poor and oppressed. 
But still, the need for both is the same. We need Jesus. We don't need a facade of cheap Christmas joy. We don't need seasonal Santa songs about watching out and not crying and not pouting. We don't need debates about happy holidays versus Merry Christmas. I mean, if Christmas is just a moment to pretty life up, then what's the fuss? Because you can't baptize your life with a little Christmas cheer to chase away the bad. That's what a brood of vipers looks like. John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, gives us the first hint about who Jesus is. Listen again to words from Zechariah's song. And you, my child, we call the prophet of the Most High. For you'll go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. See, John and John's father are pointing us to the greater one who is coming. But look closely at the one to whom John is pointing. He points us to Christ on the cross. Here's the clarity that we need. The biggest enemy we need saving from is ourselves. We live in a darkness created by our own sin. We live in the shadow of our own death. We are diseased by sin and evil, and we need the healing of Jesus Christ. The painting of John pointing to Jesus on the cross is done by Matthias Grunewald. He painted this scene as part of an altarpiece in the hospital chapel in Eisenheim, Germany. The scene would greet the nurses, doctors, staff, patients of the hospital as they would gather in the chapel for Holy Communion. At the time that Grunewald painted this piece, thousands of people in Germany were dying of a strange, as yet undiagnosed disease. And one of the prominent features of this progressive and incurable new disease were lesions which covered their entire bodies. Look more closely at the body of Jesus. Jesus' body depicted in this painting is covered with lesions associated with this strange disease. Turns out this strange disease was syphilis. German explorers to the New World brought back this sexually transmitted disease. Grunewald portrays Jesus as taking upon himself the sins of the people and the suffering that resulted. Grunewald's painting communicates Christ's compassion for us sinners. Getting ready for Christmas means looking beyond some baby in a manger to see the reason for the baby's coming. Christmas isn't just a gloss in an otherwise gloomy time of year. Christmas is about salvation. Christmas is about our sin. It's about Jesus coming to this earth, being born, so that he could die to save us from our sin, to save us from ourselves. Poet Ann Meems says, If there's no cross in the manger, there is no Christmas. If the babe doesn't come become the adult, there is no Bethlehem star. Jesus was born to die on the cross for our petty jealousies, for our Scrooge's tendencies, 
Our failures to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, shelter the homeless. Now you know why it doesn't matter whether you're a child of Abraham or a child of anyone. See, ancestry and heritage don't count for much. Status doesn't matter. Baptism doesn't make you good. Tradition makes no difference. We need to ready ourselves for the kind of clean that only a Savior can provide. Everybody needs to get ready for Jesus. Get ready for the deep clean that He brings. How then do we live? Well, those convicted of salvation by Christ, this is how we lead our lives. John the Baptist makes it simple for us. Be honest. Be good. Be content. Be nice. The crowd asks, what then should we do? And John points them toward a life of Advent kindness. Live like the Savior whose birth we celebrate at Christmas. Live like Jesus until He comes again. Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. Anyone who has food should do the same. See, John brings the message of Christmas and the coming of Christ down to street level. If you want to be ready, you'll live a changed life. In fact, John's message so gripped the lives of those who heard him that people found themselves standing next to people that they would never associate with. Ordinary folks stood next to tax collectors who they despised, who stood next to soldiers who forced them to do what they did. See, all kinds of people were gathered around John. And notice, John doesn't tell them, quit tax collecting, resign from the army, John doesn't tell people to get out to the desert so they can live some ascetic life. No, John makes it simple. He says, live where you are. Live a life of expectation right where you are. Take your second coat and give it to someone in need. Share with the poor. See, John's instructions for how to live a a deep, clean life aren't PhD solutions. He points to the very ABCs of spirituality. Not escape from life, but engage life in a new way. Conduct your business fairly. Have an eye for whatever is just. If your profit depends on monopolizing for your gain, you're living wrong. If you become rich so that someone else is stuck in poverty, you're living wrong. One preacher says, it means we're being changed. It means we're going to be weaned away from our possessions and oriented toward being everlastingly possessed by the love of God. It means that we will become less interested in receiving personal blessings for ourselves and more interested in making Christian hope known to those dwelling in darkness. It means we will become more and more thankful as we become less and less self-righteous. It means that we'll gradually become less preoccupied with our own privileges and prerogatives and gradually see ourselves more and more in solidarity with other human beings who, like us, can receive mercy only from the hand of God and not because of any human superiority. I think what John had in mind is that we would all look a bit more like George Bailey the main character of Frank Capra's movie, It's a Wonderful Life. See, George Bailey was the brother who saved his younger brother from the icy waters of certain death, even though it costed George his hearing in his left ear. 
George Bailey was the soda fountain worker who kept a drunken, grieving Mr. Gower from poisoning his family, even though it cost George a good thumping for failing to do what Mr. Gower wanted. George Bailey was the dutiful son who saved the building and loan from the clutches of the greedy Mr. Potter, that avaricious local banker, even though it kept him in Bedford Falls to miss out on his dreams of traveling the world. George Bailey and all the citizens of Bedford Falls, except perhaps Mr. Potter, simply lived their lives and dreams as ordinary citizens trying as best as they could to do the right thing by themselves and to their neighbors. That's what John the Baptist has in mind. He's not after some mountainous spiritual living. He just wants us to live differently in the world we're in. John wants Christ followers to see that it's a wonderful life whose heartbeat is sharing rather than clutching, giving rather than taking, living for God's kingdom of justice, righteousness, and peace rather than for yourself. It's delivering a poinsettia to people who could use a bit of cheer. It's buying and delivering angel tree gifts for the incarcerated. It's ringing a bell for Salvation Army. That's how John gets us ready to receive Jesus the Christ. Live every day in expectation. And Weems finishes her poem, The Cross and the Manger, by saying... If there's no room in our inn, then Merry Christmas mocks the Christ child. And the Holy Family is just a holiday card and God will loathe our festivals and feasts. For if there's no reconciliation, we cannot call Christ Prince of Peace. If there's no goodwill toward others, it can all be packed away in boxes for another year. If there's no forgiveness in us, there's no cause for celebration. If we cannot go even now unto Golgotha, there is no Christmas in us. If Christmas is not now, if Christmas is not born into the everyday present, then what is all the noise about? How then do we live? John the Baptist shows us. Perhaps at first glance his words seem kind of harsh brood of vipers. He knows we can be slippery snakes who don't walk our talk. John wants us all to get ready. Everybody. Everybody needs to be ready for Christ. There's no status or tradition or heritage that makes us acceptable to God. We all need the cross of Jesus Christ. That's why he came. He was born to bring the kindness of God near to us. He was born to bring us the life that God always intended. If you got two coats, share with someone who needs one. If you have food, share with the hungry. It's a wonderful life. Living in the kindness of the one who came. Living his kindness until he comes again. Let's pray together.
Lord Jesus Christ, we are grateful for your coming. For we know that beyond being a baby in a manger, you came to live, to love, to suffer, to die. And not to die in vain, but to die knowing that in your death, the beginning of the restoration of all things began. That in your death, you offer us forgiveness. That in your death, you give us new life. Help us to live that new life as we wait for your return. To live your kindness. To live your love. To be the honest people in our everyday dealings that you want us to be. Simply, unextravagantly, for you. Jesus, we pray this in your name alone. Amen.